you have your Bible today, let's go to the book of Matthew. You may remember that we've been in Matthew for some time, but we've been out of it since maybe early October, and I'm excited to get to return to that sermon series today called Different. Me and Shannon and Kalia were walking through a store last night, and this came up in conversation. Shannon imparted some knowledge to me that I did not know, which is not that unusual, but I learned last night that nobody uses the word blouse anymore. Not that I use that word a lot, mind you. Is, is that a fact, ladies? Is that out? You don't say blouse anymore? No? K-Ray saying no? Top? Top? I thought you spun that thing. All right, whatever. I can't keep up with you. That got me thinking, though, what are some other words or phrases that I just wish we would stop using? So I brought a few to the table for your consideration. We'll call a special business meeting now so we can vote and approve that we eliminate these, all right, from our vernacular. How about this one? At the end of the day, we hear that one all the time. Hunter said that one's gone. At the end of the day, how about this one? Circle back. We're going we're gonna to circle back. I don't know about you. I'm kind of dizzy. We've circled back so many times. Here's another one. It is what it is. Well, of course, it can't be what it ain't, right? Of course it is what it is. Now, now here's the one that really bugs me the most. When somebody says something just basic, conversational, and then they say, does that make sense? I want to go, no, it doesn't. How about you break that down a little lower for me, Copernicus, all right? Help, help me understand. I'm new to the language and such, right? That one really gets on my nerves. Does that make sense? Well, there's some phrases that I would be okay with if we just quit using them, even though I find myself using them too. But there's some phrases that I would love to see us bring back, especially here at, at Grace Life. This morning, I've got one particular phrase that we used to use a lot at Grace Life. And I think over the years, we've kind of let it lay off to the side and collect some dust. And so I want to resurrect that today. And I hope that we would start saying that at Grace Life again, because I think that would be good and beneficial for us as a church family to do that. Does that make sense? If not, I'll circle back around. And at the end of the day, you will know that it indeed does make sense. A key word or phrase, let me tell you why it's important. I, I, I'll put this on the screen for you because here's why I want to bring this out today. I, this is my expectation, the good, that having a key phrase for, for us as a church family can have on our lives this year. It can set our focus in the right place, it, it, that phrase can really kind of be our north star, right? That we just know this is, this is where we want to direct ourselves. It can encourage our unity. It, it gives us common ground that we, we rally around. It's the main thing. Number three, it can explain our priorities. It can help us and other people understand this is why we do this. And this is why this is the way that we do the things that we do. 
And it can strengthen us when times can be challenging. When adversity comes our way, it can kind of make life sort of blurry sometimes. We can sort of lose our focus. But when you have that main phrase, that verbiage, it helps us to be strengthened in the midst of those difficult times. So the the phrase, at least one of the phrases that, that I want us to bring back to Grace Life in 2024 is this one. We will glorify God by trusting and treasuring Him supremely. How many of you remember that phrase? Well, we used to hear it all the time around Grace Life. Well, I think we need to bring it back. We will glorify God by trusting and treasuring Him supremely. Let's just kind of break that down real quick. We. Who are we talking about? We. We're talking about God's people. We're talking about born again, followers of Jesus. This is who we're talking about. We. We will what? We will. That means we're going to take some action. There's something that we're going to do. We're going to determine that this is what we're going to do. What is it that we're going to do? We will glorify. What does that word glorify mean? It it means to draw attention to. It, It means to make much of. It means to Show something off. I I, I want other people to be drawn to this. It it means, glorify means to magnify, right? And and when we're talking about what we're talking about today, we're not talking about magnifying like you would with a microscope. We're not talking about taking something that's small and magnifying it under a microscope. We're We're talking about taking something or somebody who is massive and big and magnifying him like with a telescope. We want him to to look closer to us maybe than he's been looking in our eyes before. We will glorify who? God. We're going to make much of him. We're going to magnify him. We want to show him off. We don't want to glorify me. Not going to glorify us. Not going to glorify this church. And here's why. It's only when we glorify him that we're truly satisfied. It's only when we glorify Him that our hearts are really filled with joy and content. Here's another phrase we used to say around here all the time. When He gets the glory, we get the the joy, and we do. Think about it. You don't go to the Grand Canyon to spend all your time in the gift shop and then come back and tell all your friends, you have got to go to that gift shop at the Grand Canyon. They have the most beautiful pictures of the Grand Canyon in that gift shop. No, that's not where the thrill is. And the greatest thrill and the greatest satisfaction and the greatest contentment and the greatest joy that your heart, your soul can ever know will never be found upon magnifying things that have been created. Your greatest joy and thrill and satisfaction in this life will be glorifying the Creator, the one who has made all things. What are we doing? We're, we will glorify, we will Glorify God by what? Trusting Him supremely. In other words, we're going to make much of Him. We're going to show Him off. We're going to magnify Him by trusting Him more than we trust ourselves. When when we trust Him more than we do ourselves and more than we do anybody else, it's magnifying His trustworthiness. It's glorifying His character. It's making much of Him. The Bible says, trust in the Lord with all, all your heart. Don't even lean into your own understanding. When life is easy, we want to glorify God by trusting Him supremely. 
when it seems like life is going off the rails and it's not easy to trust, that's an opportunity to glorify God by trusting Him supremely. But, th- but that's not all. And this is where I want us to really dig in today. We want to trust and treasure. We want to trust and treasure God supremely. That ought to be the pursuit of our lives. That God is trusted and treasured supremely. That I treasure Him. I treasure Him more than more than any of my earthly treasures. And I have some really, like you, some really precious earthly treasures. I have a wife and I have children and we have a home on a little piece of dirt. But if I treasure them or that more than I treasure Jesus, then there won't be joy. There won't be a deep satisfaction in our hearts and in our lives. I've got a little lunch money in my pocket. Not enough for you today, but just enough for me and mine, all right? I, I, I got a job. I've got a title. I get to be a part of an incredible church family. But, but all of that will only be empty and frustrating and fatiguing in my life if I treasure any of that more than I treasure God himself. If any of that becomes more valuable, more important to me than God himself, it'll be empty and hollow. Many of us, if not most of us today, would claim to be a Christian. But I would ask, are you treasuring Jesus supremely above all things? Is he this morning of more value to you? than your comfort, than the things that you think you are in control of? Is he of more value to you than the things you possess and own? Is he of more value? Do you treasure him more than even your own reputation, your future, even your own life? Listen, the reality is this. If your heart has truly been changed by the power of the gospel, There's no question about this. A heart that has been made new by the power of Jesus, a person who has been born again, there will be then within you a new desire, a desire that was not there previously when you were still dead in your sin. This desire is to trust Jesus and to treasure Jesus more than anybody, more than anything else. Is that descriptive of your life this morning would you say i know that i'm a child of god because i i do i trust and i treasure jesus supremely more than anything or anybody that doesn't mean by the way that you shouldn't treasure other people in fact on this weekend and monday being martin luther king jr day this is just a good place to remind us that we as god's people ought to treasure all people Because all people have been made in the image of God. But understand this. We will never, ever treasure others rightly until we first treasure Jesus supremely. All of our world's efforts 
to try to show respect and kindness and compassion and justice toward one another. Listen, they will all fall short. We will only treasure other image bearers of God rightly when we first treasure Jesus supremely. So this morning, I want to take you to the verse in Matthew where we left off. Back in October, we were preaching verse by verse through the book of Matthew. We had been there for nearly a year already, and then we took a three-month detour. But today we go back to Matthew chapter 13. And I just want to remind you that what Matthew's doing in his gospel is he's introducing us to the kingdom of God. And he's introducing us to the king, King Jesus himself. And his kingdom is different. And that's why we're calling this series different. The kingdom of heaven is different from anything that this world has ever known. The kingdom is different because the king is different. If you just started today reading in Matthew chapter 1 and read all the way up through Matthew chapter 13, you would see that Jesus is different. Matthew chapter 1 is very clear that Jesus has a different pedigree. He comes from a family like no other. The family that he comes from is a family that fulfills all the Old Testament prophecies about the Messiah, the Savior that would one day come. He has a different pedigree. He also has a different preparation. He, he was brought up and raised by a carpenter in Nazareth, but his real preparation for his life and his work and his ministry happened out in the wilderness. And it happened without the comforts of food and water. His preparation happened with a toe-to-toe battle, head-to-head battle, battle, face-to-face battle with Satan himself. His pedigree is different. His preparation is different. When you get to Matthew chapter 5 and Jesus begins to preach what we call the Sermon on the Mount, you begin to realize he wants us to know that his people are different. The people in the kingdom of heaven are different kind of people. They're humble people. Kingdom people are meek people. Kingdom people hunger and thirst for righteousness. They're peacemakers. They're pure in heart. Kingdom of heaven people are forgivers. That's different. Kingdom of heaven people are restorers. They're generous. They're grace-filled. Kingdom of heaven people don't cancel their enemies. They love their enemies. That's different, right? They love their enemies. They're quick. Kingdom of Heaven people are quick to show compassion and slow to jump to judgments. His pedigree is different and his preparation is different and his people are different. Not only that, but his power, the power of King Jesus is different. He healed the sick. Just read through the pages of Matthew over and over again. You'll see this. He healed the sick. He raised the dead. He cast out demons. He calmed storms. There's none like him. He is different. He's a different king with a different pedigree and different different preparation, different people, different power. And he has a different pulse. What I mean by that is the heartbeat of this king is different. His heart beats for people that are bruised and battered and broken. His heart beats for those that others have abandoned. He reached to heal those that none others would touch, like the lepers. He received a touch. 
from those that others would have stoned because her bleeding would not stop. His heart is like no other, a different kind of pulse. The pulse of his heart was for the broken and the bruised and the abandoned. The pulse of his heart was for those who knew that without him, I'm doomed. Without him, I have no hope and no help. He was for those people. His pulse, the heart beat in him was for those people. He's a different kind of king. His pedigree's different. His preparation's different. People are different. His power's different. His pulse is different. And the preaching of Jesus is different. You would see that as you walked with us through Matthew over this year and a half or so. His preaching was different. They had never heard anybody preach like him. They said about him, he preaches like one who has authority. He's not just quoting everybody else. He's bringing truth as if he is the source of that truth because he is the source. He is truth. He often preached and taught and spoke in parables. The Sunday school definition for that is those are earthly stories with a heavenly meaning. It's a good definition. He taught that way to weed out those who really wanted to know him from those who just wanted to show. If you were really interested in knowing Jesus, then, then you would lean in. And you would listen closely to his parables. You would give effort and energy and attention to try to understand what is it that, that he's saying here. And it's not merely up to our intellect to help us understand what God is speaking out of his word. Only with God's gracious help can we understand the truths of God. But here's the thing. If we want to know, he'll help us. He'll help us. And so he spoke in parables so that those who really wanted to know and didn't just want to show, he would meet them at their desire. Where their intellect would hit a wall, he would meet them at that place and divinely help them understand. He still does that today. But the Holy Spirit will not be your tutor in the things of God if you really aren't interested in the things of God. When we left this series in October, we were in the middle of some of his parables. Jesus is using these parables to say to us, this is what my kingdom is like. I'm inviting you in. This is what life in me and in my kingdom in this world is like. And it's different. And it will make your experience in your life on this planet in the year 2024, different. If you're a kingdom person, your life will be different. You can go to church. You can be religious. You can have a bunch of theological knowledge. But until you're walking moment by moment with King Jesus, your life won't be different. Not like he intends for it to be. So your citizenship in the kingdom of heaven is going to change the way that you do life in this world. It will be different because he's different. Living here as a kingdom person will mean that you're going to be different. Your thoughts will be different. Your values 
will be different. Your choices will be different. Your decisions will be different. The bent of your heart will be different. Your passions will be different. Your pursuits will be different. It will all be different when you are walking daily with King Jesus. So let's go straight to where we left off. Matthew chapter 13, verse 44. Jesus is in the middle of these short little parables, and he says this next. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure, hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has, and he buys that field. As was the custom in that day, you you had... Legally, the ability to travel through people's fields from place to place. There weren't a lot of roads and highways and so forth. And this man is walking through a field. Maybe he has a staff in his hand, a walking stick. And as he's walking, maybe that stick pierces the ground and makes a sound. And he knows something's there. And like every dude in this room would do, we're going to find out what's there. Right, gentlemen? We're going to look. And he starts to pull away the dirt. There's something there. He pulls more away. Finally, he's able to pick something up, and it's a, it's a box. And inside that box, there's treasure like he's never seen before. Now, what's interesting is, by Jewish law, in those days, if you found something, it was yours. I'm not sure, but maybe that's where the phrase finders, keepers, losers, weepers came from. But in those days, it was very common that people would put money in the ground, put possessions in the ground. They didn't have a safe deposit box at the bank or a safe to put those things in. And then somebody, maybe they'd go to war, they would die, they would pass away, and treasures would be left. And so the law just said that if you found treasure, it was yours. But this man didn't just take it with him. He wanted to go above and beyond. This treasure was so valuable that Jesus says he went back home. He put the treasure back in the ground, covered it back up. And he went back home and he gathered up all of his other treasures and he sold them all. So that he can go and pay the man who owned the land where the treasure was so he could be the owner of that property. And then nobody could question whose treasure then it was. I kind of love that about that guy. And it's interesting because Jesus said he did all that in his joy. He went home and he liquidated everything that had meant so much to him. In his joy, he went and he sold all he had. It wasn't like, well, I guess I got to. I don't want to go to hell, so I'm going to have to, you know. No, it was like, I get to let go of all this stuff because this is far better than anything else. Jesus says that's what the kingdom of heaven is like. When you truly encounter the king and his kingdom, it will completely reorient your thinking. You thought this was treasure, but that is nothing. Paul said that's just garbage now compared to Jesus, to knowing Jesus. When you encounter King Jesus and his kingdom, it will reorient your values, your priorities, your thinking. Jesus said in verse 45, he tells the same thing really another way. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. Think of a jeweler, right, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had, and he bought it. 
I don't know about you, but my retirement planner is always preaching, diversify your portfolio, diversify your portfolio. That's really sound advice for retirement planning. But when it comes to your heart, you never should diversify that portfolio of the heart. These men did not diversify their hearts. They did not diversify what they treasured. They went all in. Jesus says that's what the kingdom of heaven is like. And some of us have had a diversified heart when it comes to King Jesus and his kingdom. We, we invest a little bit with him, or we're going to invest a little bit here and invest a little bit there. And Jesus says, no, the kingdom of heaven is an all-in proposition. It's an all-in proposition. And when he says the kingdom of heaven is like this, I think he could mean a number of things. I'll quickly give you five things that came to mind that he could be talking about here. Number one is this. The kingdom of heaven is out of plain view. The kingdom of heaven is out of plain view. The treasure was buried. The priceless pearl had once been inside an oyster shell beneath the water's surface. So it is with the kingdom of heaven. When I say kingdom of heaven, that's just another way of saying God's rule over all things. And he is right now ruling over all things. Right now, you and I are in the invisible kingdom of heaven. It's just below the surface, so to speak. But it's real and it's present. And that's why the world doesn't get us. That's why people that don't know our king don't understand why we worship him. They don't understand why we want to follow him. Why we would trust and treasure a savior that we cannot see. But while the kingdom of heaven is invisible right now through our lives, think about this, through your life and the way you live as you follow Jesus, King Jesus wants to make his kingdom, while it's invisible, yet experienceable to the people around us in our world. And one day, not too far from now, the kingdom of heaven will not only be present as it is now, but it will no longer be beneath the surface. It will be crowned in glory for all to see. The second thing that maybe Jesus has in mind here when he says this is what the kingdom of heaven is like is this. The kingdom of heaven is personally attained. Personally attained. Think of it. You have one man in the field. You have one man searching for this priceless pearl. And that's interesting to me. Think about the many different ways people come to know Jesus. In this story, you have one man who wasn't looking for treasure. He found it. Some of you would say, that's my story. I wasn't really looking for Jesus, but Jesus found me. But there was the other man, the, the jeweler, the merchant. He was looking for something, and he found it. And for others of you, that's your story. You were empty, and you were dead, and you knew it, and you were searching for Jesus. You went looking for him. And by his grace, you found him. But here's the thing. We all have to come to the kingdom as an individual. We don't get in because we're attached to somebody else. You don't get in because you're Jewish. You don't get in because you're Gentile or any ethnicity, part of any certain group. Each man, woman, boy, and girl must come to a relationship with Christ on their own. Not with or because of any other. One at a time. 
Right now, the whole world is under the influence of the kingdom of heaven. But you will not be a citizen of it until you personally repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ to save you from your sin and to reconcile you to God. Number three, the kingdom of heaven must be purchased. That's right. There's a price. A price of admission. The kingdom of heaven must be purchased. The man bought the field and he got the treasure in it. The merchant bought the pearl. That was a priceless pearl. A place in the kingdom of heaven must be bought. But none of us can afford it. So Jesus has paid for it by giving his life on the cross for me and for you. He purchased your place in my place in his kingdom through his shed blood. Number four, the kingdom of heaven is the source for the joy of all joys. Jesus was very clear to make sure that we understand that this was no inner tension the man in the field felt. It was with joy that he went home and he collected all of his other treasures. And he said, this is just rubbish compared to where I'm going and what I have found. In his joy, the kingdom of heaven is the source of the joy of all joys. When our hearts are fully set on the glory of God, then our hearts will be fully filled with the joy of God. When our hearts are fully set on the glory of God, then our hearts will be fully filled with the joy of God. Get your heart and your head around the fact, child of God, that your identity is you're a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. That King Jesus is your king. And when you get that truth locked into your mind and your heart, rivers of joy are going to abide and abound and flow in and through and out of your life. Do not settle for a fake ID in this world. Do not settle for staking your identity on anything less than the Lord Jesus himself. If you place your identity in anything in this world, you root it in anything other than Jesus himself, you will always be unsatisfied. You will always be looking for something else, longing for something else. Fifth thing that Jesus, I think, had in mind, the kingdom of heaven and her king, King Jesus. Not only are they the joy of all joys, but they're the treasure of all treasures. The treasure of all treasures. Listen, he is different. Jesus is different from any other treasure you could ever have. There's lots of great treasures in this world, but none of them compare to him. None even come close to him. Just flip as we have over nearly two years now through the book of Matthew. Why did Mary and Joseph do what they did? Mary and Joseph did all God told them to do because the treasure of all treasures was in her womb. Why did the wise men come all the way from afar to worship this baby in a manger and defy the edict of Herod? Why did they do that? Because they knew they had just worshipped the treasure of all treasures. John the Baptist lived a difficult life and he died a difficult death. Why did he do that? Because he knew he was preparing the way for the treasure of all treasures. Look in Matthew, Simon and Andrew and James and John, they left their nets, they left their daddy, they left their families. Why? Because the treasure of all treasures had invited them to follow him. 
The lepers came for healing. The Roman centurion came requesting. Demons went running. Paralytics started dancing. Matthew, the tax collector, went broke. Blind men saw, mute men spoke, storms stopped, and dead people danced again. Why? Because they all came face to face with the treasure of all treasures, the king of all kings, and the Lord of all lords. He is different. And when I talk about following Jesus, I'm not talking about praying a prayer and going to church. We're talking about a real living relationship with the living God. This is what a walk with God, a living relationship with God looks like. It's treasuring Him above all other treasures. It's trusting and treasuring Him supremely. Following Jesus, this is what it means. I'm not going to follow what I once treasured. I'm only going to follow Him. He is my supreme treasure. That's what following Jesus means. Following Jesus isn't a diversified heart. It's a singular heart where he alone is treasured supremely in our hearts and in our lives because he has no peer. He has no rival. He has no competitor. He alone is the place where our greatest and deepest affections are rooted and found in him alone. It's the source of our deepest satisfaction and joy. And it's the only right response. Treasuring him supremely is the only right response to the one who paid for us to be citizens of his beautiful kingdom. You need to understand this morning that the deepest part of you will only truly be happy and satisfied and content and joy-filled when Christ alone is your supreme treasure. The human soul can only be satisfied by the one who made it. And think of this. Your soul is the only part of you that didn't come from your mama and your daddy. Your human soul came from God himself. And your soul will only be truly satisfied in him alone. Your soul will only know true joy. When it finds true joy in God, your soul will only know true contentment when it knows its contentment is in God. And that's my prayer for us this year, that we will overflow, dare I say, with even delirious joy this year, because we would be a people whose prayer and ambition is that by God's grace, he would help us to trust and treasure him above all, supremely. Nothing else will do. Nobody else will do. Nobody will ever be as faithful to you as him. Nobody has mercy for you like him. Nobody can forgive you like him. Nobody has compassion for you like him. Nobody can counsel you like him. Nobody can comfort you like him. Nobody can provide for you like him. Nobody's ever going to love you like him. There is nobody like him, and that is why he is worthy. He is so very worthy to be trusted and treasured by his people supremely. So, God, that is our prayer.
today. That we would magnify your infinite worth and value. That we would make much of that. Not make much of us, but that we would make much of you. And who you are. And what you're like. That in our undiversified trusting and our undiversified treasuring of You, You would be glorified. You would be shown off. And I do believe, God, with all of my heart, that when our lives are giving You glory, You are gladly giving us joy. And so, God, I pray for us today that we would have a hunger in us to be this kind of different, to be changed by the King of all kings, the Lord of all lords, the treasure of all treasures, that we would gladly today stand with an undiversified heart, an undivided heart, and say, Jesus is all I have. He's all I need. He's more than enough. We pray this today in His amazing, amazing name. I want to invite you to stand. And let's worship the one who is worthy. He is worthy to be worshipped. Not just with a song, but with a heart that is undivided in its trusting and in its treasuring of Him. Let this not just be a moment, but let this moment set the pace for you and for us. This is the way we want our 24 to be defined. Trusting and treasuring Jesus supremely.